0: How do you feel about confrontation? All of us kind of react differently to confrontation, right? Uh, Some of you, even me just mentioning the word this morning, you kind of coil and want to get in the fetal position and say no, no, no. Others of you want to stand up and say, yeah, let's fight somebody, you know. We all kind of respond differently to confrontation, In our world, conflict is inevitable. Conflict is inevitable because there is a such thing as right and wrong. There is a such thing as truth. Any narrative in our world that says that we can be in a world free of conflict is is a false narrative because where there is a world of right and wrong, where those two things coexist, there is going to be some level of conflict. Now, at times, it is unloving and unkind not to get involved in conflict. Let me tell you what I mean. Let's just pretend for a moment that you had a um, 14-year-old son and a 10-year-old son, and the older son was wailing on the younger son, it is unloving and unkind as a father or a parent not to use your authority to get into the middle of that and to break that up. There comes a point as a parent where you've, you've got to intervene, you've got to have confrontation. What about this? You know, many years, um, for those of you who don't know, I have, uh, I'm also a marriage and family therapist. Um, before I came here, I had a practice, and um, one of the things that happened quite frequently, unfortunately, was that sometimes in marriage counseling, a man would come in, and I would find out that he had been abusive towards his children, or that he had been abusive towards his wife. How unloving and unkind would it be for me not to confront Because I'm in a position of authority where not only can I confront, but I can also help and and make sure that those who are needing of protection can be protected. This morning in our text, what you're going to see is Jesus willfully getting himself involved in a confrontation. What you're going to see, I hope by the end of this morning, that what you're going to see is that this, is, this confrontation that Jesus gets into is not something that just kind of happens to him, but this is Jesus coming in in all of his authority and confronting the Pharisees. If we miss this, if we miss this idea that Jesus is purposefully confronting the Pharisees, and that for Jesus, something is going on that is so worth it that he's willing to get involved and get willing to get in this confrontation. If we don't understand that, we are going to miss the point of our text this morning. That some things are worth fighting for. And Jesus is getting right after these Pharisees. And what's at stake when we see that, it makes all the difference. Now, what's interesting here, if we just look at what's going on in the text, fairly simple and fairly straightforward, this is common in this day, the disciples and Jesus were walking, they were going from one place to the other, and they were walking through a grain field, and this would have been common. And as they were walking along through the grain field, the disciples uh, were going through, they were hungry, and so they were taking and they were taking uh, part of the grain and shucking it and eating it. And this became the center stage for this confrontation. It became the center stage for the confrontation because according to the Pharisees and according to the law, because it was a Sabbath, um, what the disciples had just done is they had done some work. They had harvested. They had winnowed. They had plowed by taking grain in their hand and eating it. Now I want to ask you, do you see the injustice of this? Do you see why Jesus would go in and fight here? I think it's hard for us to understand what's going on, and I want to unpack it this morning. I think sometimes in our American minds, we see this and we're like, oh, well, maybe what's going on is that these disciples were stealing food. Because in our day and age, if you owned an apple orchard and I came in your apple orchard and stole, took an apple off the tree, we would consider that stealing But in this day and age, it wasn't considered stealing. In fact, there was a law in the Old Testament that said that you should leave out grain, leave out part of the harvest, so that people coming through could take something and eat. It wasn't about stealing. There is something much deeper. And so what I want to ask you this morning is what in the world is the reason for the confrontation? Why in the world would Jesus get so up in arms when the Pharisees came to him, that he's willing to have this confrontation with them. I learned a valuable lesson a couple weeks ago. And that is this, that sometimes, probably all the times, things are designed in such a way um, that they need to be centered or ordered properly in order to work. The alternator went out in my truck, and so I had to get it fixed, and I got the alternator fixed, and I got it home, and I noticed a little bit of a doop, doop, doop sound, and, you know, uh, I ignored that. Uh, as Casey got into the truck, it was a much louder doop, doop, doop sound, and she opened the hood, and what she saw was the belt that goes around all kinds of different things. You see how mechanically inclined I am. That little belty thingy wrapped around thingies in the engine was shredded, and so as I, I called some friends over or talked to one on the phone, and one came over. One of the things we realized was that the belt wasn't centered on the pulleys, and so because the belt wasn't centered, it frayed, and and so we had to replace the belt. And so one of the things that my friends both taught me is they were talking to me about putting this belt on, and one of them realized I better go over there. Um, was that if you didn't put the belt back on the right way, the consequence of that is that the engine would fail and ruin the truck. So things have to be centered. Things have to be, they have to be in the right place. They have to be in the right order. And what we see in our text this morning is that these Pharisees that are coming alongside Jesus, these Pharisees that are are around Him, That what Jesus is going to tell these Pharisees is that your life, the way you're living, and your philosophy of living is misordered. And if you keep going this way, things are going to completely fall apart. Now this isn't a new problem for Jewish people. We see all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, if you just Google... Um, Old Testament sacrifice, God doesn't uh, want your sacrifice. All these passages will come up over and over and over in the Old Testament. What we see is that God is telling his people, I don't want your sacrifices. Now, let me ask you this. In the Old Testament, was the sacrificial system bad? No. It wasn't the problem of bringing the sacrifice. What was the problem? The problem was... The heart behind it. The problem was what the people had turned this into. The problem was that this had gotten extremely disordered. They had missed the point. And in our text this morning, as we're looking at this whole idea of the Sabbath, we see that the Pharisees have greatly missed the point. Now what I do want you to see, and you should know this if you're staying with us in our Bible reading plan, as we were in Exodus chapter 20, You read the Ten Commandments, and this is where God had given Moses, spoken directly to Moses and inscribed the Ten Commandments, and and here's what we have. Verse 8 in chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male or female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what we see is that these Pharisees understood that this commandment from God was important. But what we are going to see, the problem is that they had taken it and made it something that it was never supposed to be. You know, one of the things that happened with rabbis and teachers and with the Pharisees is that they viewed the law as so important. They viewed keeping the law so important that they wanted to make sure... That they could stay pure. They wanted to make sure that they could do the law. And so what they did is what we call they built hedges around the law. What I mean by that is that they said, OK, if this is the core principle, we, we, we want to start to create this structure. So we want to make sure that we never violate that. An example of that, a uh, modern day example of that, would be that I had a friend in college. And he it was a it was a big deal. This is good. He wanted to keep himself pure when it came to to his dating relationships. And so what he would do is that when he would go on a date with a young lady, he would take his Bible and he would sit it on the console next to him. So that it would always remind him of, of keeping himself pure. And so, you know, he would say, you know, so when I reached over to grab the hand of the young lady next to me, I wanted to have to reach over the Bible so that I would have to think through that. This is kind of what the Pharisees were doing. Let me, let me take it to another example before we come back to the Sabbath law. Do you remember our reading recently in Exodus where it said, um, you shall not boil goats in the milk of their mother? Do you remember that? Are you all keeping that law? We're not doing that this afternoon, right? There's no crock pot with mothers and goats? Okay, just making sure. The point of that was there was this Canaanite um, uh, occult ritual that had to do with you know goat's milk and boiling the goat and the mother of its goat's milk. And so, so God was, was, was keeping His people pure and giving this law. And so what happened is over time, in order to protect that, that the rabbis and the teachers of the law, uh, one, of, one of the things that it came to was they said this, alright, look, we want to make sure we keep the law and so what we're going to say is, don't drink goat's milk and eat goat meat in the same meal. Because what may happen that makes you unintentionally violate the law is that in your stomach, the meat and the milk mix and you've just boiled goats in goat milk. Even to this day, even to this day, there are many in the Jewish tradition that will not eat meat, and dairy in the same meal. And in a lot of places you have milk dishes and meat dishes in the Jewish community. This is a way of hedging and protecting the law so that somebody doesn't unintentionally stumble into that. Now, when we come to the Sabbath, when we come to the Sabbath, there's this effort and and there's all kinds of writings on this of what rabbis would do. And in this day and age, this was going on. What rabbis would do to do two things. One is to hedge the law. The other one is even to define. Think about this. What is work? What is work? According to the Mishnah, you can write one letter, but you can't write two letters. So how do we translate that into emails? Can you open your computer and respond to one email and not two? And then there were other things like this. I'm going to see how many sinners we have this morning. Who has groomed? Their fingernails today. Okay, if you do that on the Sabbath, you're a sinner. You violated the law. What about plucking out hair? Has anybody, you know, at at forty-two? I'm forty-two. I'm already getting these really weird hairs, like in my ears. I don't know if I plucked one this morning or not, but I could have been like ding. Violated the law. If we had time, I'd pull out my phone and the reason I would pull out my phone to look is to see how many steps I had taken. Do you know how many steps you could take on the Sabbath before it was considered work? 2,999. Do we have sinners in here? Unless you made provisions that you could, you could walk 2,999 steps and if you had provisions, a certain provisions, you could then partake of those provisions and then go back Uh, So that's where you could return home if you accidentally got too far out and didn't want to violate the law and couldn't come back forward. Got kind of crazy. My friend, who kept his Bible on the console, at one point told me that in his whole college experience, his Bible never came out of his car. He never read it. He missed the point. Hear me out. Purity is vitally important. But he missed the point. One of the places that I see this sort of pharisa- pharisaical um, attitudes with law keeping, one of the places that I see it the most is within our youth programs. One of the things we want to teach our kids, and these are good things. Hear me, this is a good thing. We want our children to be pure and we want them to abstain from drugs and alcohol as well. That is good, right? But if that is all that they get from your youth program, they have missed the point. The law, the commandments, the structure has led them astray. It's not centered on the right thing. The main thing isn't the main thing. And so what Jesus is doing here by entering in this argument is that He is coming along to the Pharisees and He is trying to help them reorient, recenter, restructure things. He's trying to show them how this belt should go on that makes the engine run properly. In my silly example of my vehicle, um I was very thankful that somebody came over and helped me. I knew my limits and I knew the danger of doing it the wrong way. But what if I would have done this? What if I would have went to these two guys and said, ah, you know, I know you say this, but uh, I, 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 think I, can, I think it can go on this way, and it was the wrong way. How kind and loving would these two men have been if they were like, well, If you're going to be stupid, you've got to be tough. I was told that a lot when I was young. I had a lot of dumb ideas. What would actually happen, and what I, I think both of these guys... You would, would then give me? They would kind of flex their car muscles a little bit. You know what I mean by that? They would tell me what good mechanics they were. They would tell me how they know this process. They would say why. They would give me the intricacies of Lewis. Listen, think through this. I want you to think through this with me. Here's why the belt needs to go on this way. And don't do it the other way. I would even hope in this instance that one of them would have tackled me and held me down while the other one put it on so that I couldn't make such a big colossal mistake. In other words, it would, it was, it's important and, and it was good and it would be right if those friends would have shown me that they have authority when it comes to knowledge of, about trucks and vehicles to keep me where I needed to be. Sometimes in life, it's good and it's right for someone who has authority over subject matters and over things to flex those muscles to demonstrate to us that this person is the authority and that we need to listen to them. And I want to say that this is what I think Jesus is doing in this text. Jesus is intentionally, intentionally getting Himself into conflict with these Pharisees. How much easier would it have been If Jesus would have simply, as his disciples were going along and picking the grain, and he knew that the Pharisees were getting upset, how much easier would it have been if Jesus would have just said, "Ah, guys, just cut it out. They're going to get upset. They get all bent out of shape about this. Just next Sunday, you can pick the grain. This Sunday, let's just lay low. No, we see that Jesus is intentionally doing something. Jesus is intentionally getting himself involved in this conflict. And we see that as Mark is writing this gospel, this is the third of four conflicts with the Pharisees, and they each are escalating to the point that next week, uh, Gary will preach, Lord willing, on a, a text where Jesus intentionally on the Sabbath goes to the Pharisees and continues this discussion, continues this argument. And the volatility is increasing And is getting to the point where they will want to kill him. And the structure of Mark is that you've got this Jesus displaying his authority through his his miracles and through his power. And it rubs against the Pharisees and it reaches this boiling point to where they want to kill him. And then Mark kind of goes back and talks about gives us Jesus' teachings. And then it does the same thing. It reaches this boiling point. The Pharisees are here, they're waiting, they're watching. And you may ask yourself, with so many laws, with so many rituals that they have, why in the world would they go after this one? Why in the world would they look at the Sabbath as the one in which they're really going to sock it to Jesus, and the reality is, is because they thought they had Him. By this point in time, the mark of a Jewish person after the exile, where the Jews were dispersed, um, the mark of being Jewish, a really good Jew, really, there were two things, two things that they did the dietary laws and the Sabbath laws. And this kind of marked them. This kind of was their uh, identity. This is what it meant to be Jewish. And so what happened here is Jesus, as his followers, violated the Sabbath laws, they looked and said, "Uh uh-huh, we got you. We got you. Some Jewish teacher you are. You can't even possibly think yourself a good Jewish teacher if you allow your disciples to violate this thing that is so vitally important to who we are. The Messiah would never... Do something like this. Look at verse 23 and 24. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples began to make their way. While picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him. Look. Why are they doing what is not unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus does something really fascinating here. He uses this moment. To display his authority and his power. Look, look, look deeply here at what's going on. Look at verse 25, Jesus' response. And he said to them, Have you never read? Jesus says, Have you never read? Now, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were these, the most learned individuals about the Torah and the Old Testament and the law. They were sharp. They were the ones that were interpreting the law. They were the ones that were arguing the finer points and the finer details of the law and of the Old Testament Scriptures. And Jesus goes right after them and says, Have you never read? This is an assault on who they are. This would be akin to me going to a mechanic and saying, Have you never seen a serpentine belt? Same thing. Except deeper, because this is who they are. They are teachers, and Jesus is getting ready to teach them. Let's look at the second thing that happens. Look in verse 25 through 27. He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need? He and his companions became hungry. He entered the house of God in the time of the the high priest, and he ate the consecrated bread which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to him, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so Jesus interprets and gives them the intent of the law. And Jesus uses this Old Testament example of a time when David was hungry and he goes to the priest. And this was... You know, seems like a big no-no of giving the consecrated bread on the Sabbath to David and his men for them to eat. And the high priest made this decision. And so what Jesus is saying, he is showing a flaw in their philosophy. That the Sabbath was never meant or intended for people to walk away hungry or for people to starve. It wasn't the point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and his good. That when God created the world, when God rested on the seventh day, He did so as an example. God didn't need rest. He knew that we needed rest. And so in His love and His care and His kindness for us, God said, on the seventh day you shall rest. This is a grace gift given to us as God's people. It was never meant, it was never meant for man to be made... For the Sabbath, meaning that for the Sabbath to be a way that we earned favor or for the Sabbath to be a way that we display how great we are or for the Sabbath to be a way that we work our way into salvation. This is not what it is supposed to be. The Sabbath was made for man, so Jesus, Jesus interprets the law and philosophically sets them right. But that's not all that he does. Look at verse 28. In verse 28, he says, So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And this is the ultimate, the ultimate flexing on these Pharisees. And Jesus knew that it would anger them because Jesus is equating himself once more to God by saying, That he himself, Jesus, is the Lord of the Sabbath. Did you notice in verse 27 that when he said to him, The Sabbath was made? What's the connection point? The Sabbath was made for man. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I am the one who made the Sabbath. Jesus is flexing his muscles and showing his deity and saying, I am the Lord, the Creator, the One who co-created the world, the One who co-created the Sabbath. And again, think about this. If all Jesus wanted to do was kind of correct them on their Sabbatarian laws, He would never have said this. He would never have said this. So, What's the point of this text? And and how do we apply it? What's going on inside of you right now? Are you sitting there saying, okay, Lewis, tell us what we can and can't do on the Sabbath. Can I go home and read my emails? You said something about work emails. I, I don't want to violate the law. It's not the point. It's not the point. The point of this text is not about how you spend your Sabbath. It's not the point. I will say something helpful. Okay? But I want you to hear me sternly that it's not the point. It is, there is, a, a, there is a, a, some stuff here that's helpful. And so what I want you to see is this. Again, the Sabbath was made for you and for your good. And you have license on how you handle the Sabbath, on what you deem is best. And the goal is, is that God loves you so much that he wants you to spend a day in resting and relaxing and focusing and worshiping. And how you do that, God gives you some freedoms in that. One pastor said this. He said that if you sit all day long in your job, you should probably get up and go for walks. That would be a good way to spend your Sabbath. Uh, and then he said if you are the if your job has you laboring all the time, you should probably sit in your chair if you have a chair uh, and relax. And this is good. But this is not this text is not about how we are to live in the Sabbath in the New Testament. This isn't a text that tells us about should you go to a restaurant after church? Is Chick-fil-A better than Guthrie's? This isn't what this text is about. This text is about something bigger. And I want you to look closer. I want us to look closer at what's going on in this example that Jesus uses of David. And there's something Man, if you were to go back and study this passage in 1 Samuel, there are a lot of strange things going on in this passage. It's it's fascinating to me that this is what Jesus quotes and uses. Uh, you, you know, there's questions about was was David misleading the priest as he went in and uh, said he was hungry, and uh, there's questions about uh, you know the priest seems really scared of David, and there's just all these things going on. But I think what's going on in this text, and I think what Jesus was trying to communicate, and what I think that the Pharisees understood is this. When David went into the high priest, when David was looking for food, David couldn't just go into the temple himself and get the food. David had to go through the high priest. The high priest had the authority to give David the food. And what Jesus is saying is that I have the authority over the Sabbath. The laws, the rules, the regulations, they come through me. Again, this is Jesus flexing his authority. And please, let's not miss the first phrase in verse 28 when it says the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The two times that Mark uses this term so far in this book to talk about the Son of Man, one was in uh, this chapter in verse 10, and here it is surrounding the authority of Jesus Christ. So this text is not about how we work out um, our Sabbath and how we do our Sabbath. This text is a text that is mainly a proclamation, and it's a proclamation about the authority of Jesus Christ. And again, think about this. I know as I began studying this text, the impulse that I had real quickly got turned from the authority of Christ to what should I do on the Sabbath? The impulse turned to, and I hate to admit this, but I think this is where we land. Ooh how do I need to um, sharpen up my rule following so other people will know I'm a good Christian? That's why I think some of these things, these impulses come inside of us. As I began, I asked, I said that sometimes it's really good for confrontation, especially when something Major is at stake and something that matters and is worthwhile. And as Jesus is entering this debate, as he's entering this, something major is at stake. And there's a reason for this uh, this confrontation. And that we are to see the power and the strength as Jesus proclaims who he is. And I think there is this picture here that is just beautiful that sometimes we miss. And I don't want us to miss this this morning. That as Jesus is confronting these Pharisees, as Jesus is being confronted by them and then enters this confrontation, what we see, what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees in this text is that He has the power and the strength to take their broken system, their misaligned system, their uncentered system, this law that they had turned upside down, that Jesus has the power and the authority to lift it up and turn it right back up and set it in its proper place. It's not that the Sabbath law is bad. It's not that this commandment is bad. It's that it's misplaced. And Jesus has the power to lift it and to lift the burden. Lift the burden of law keeping to earn your way to salvation. That Jesus has the power and He is willing and He has the authority to lift this off of them and lift this off of us. And what He does with that is that He takes that burden and He puts it on Himself and He takes it to the cross so that we don't have to carry that burden because guess what? We can't carry it. I view what went on here, I know Jesus is sharp and He is stern with the Pharisees, but I view this as an act of love. Because as He is confronting these Pharisees, He is telling them, you can't do it. You've got it wrong. He lifts that. He puts it on Himself. And in the cross, in the cross, He reconciles us to God so that we know that our reconciliation with God is never based on our own strength because we would never make it if it was. That our reconciliation with God is based on the work of Christ on the cross. And it always has been and it always will be that we are reconciled to God by grace through faith. Wasn't that the reason in the Old Testament that God said, I don't want your sacrifices? Because they weren't coming to him in faith. They were coming to him in works. And what a folly that we would stand and think we were strong enough to, to do something to earn our way when God made the way. So when we look at this confrontation over the Sabbath... Jesus looks and says, no, the Sabbath is a way for you to flourish. It's not a burden for you to bear. And my question for you this morning. Would you see Christ as not only giving you that loving gift of the the Sabbath, the day of rest. But as Hebrew puts it, the ultimate rest. Would you enter into that rest this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise who is able to do far more than we could ever think or do. To you belong all the glory, all the dominion, because you are all powerful. You are all authoritative. And God, you didn't have to, but you used your power and authority to conquer sin and death, to make a way for us to be reconciled to your Father. When there was no way for us to be reconciled. And you take our burden. We are forever grateful. We thank you God. May we look to you. And find rest. Your yoke is easy. And your burden is light. And it's all because of your son Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me.